0: 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 34, it begins this way, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? What body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that that body shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another of beasts, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, and another, and another differeth from one another star in glory. so also is the resurrection of the dead. it is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. How be it, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth earthy, the second man is of the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as the heavenly, such also are they that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. Behold, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed." O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This morning I just want to talk to you about some concluding thoughts about uh, 1 Corinthians 15. In chapter 15 Paul summarized his letter to the Corinthians by pleading with them to keep growing in the Lord. He also provided a platform for that growth. So he wanted them to keep growing and then he provided them something to grow by. And so First thing I want you to notice is that the Corinthians, they had plenty of room to grow. They had plenty of room to grow. Now, as Paul dealt with the Corinthians up to this point, time and time again, he's not pulling out his hair, but he's saying to them, guys, we, you know better than this, the way you're treating your brothers and sisters in Christ you know you're not supposed to talk to them that way. You know you're not supposed to treat them that way. And time and time again, Paul came beside them and said, Guys, I need you. I need you to change your ways. you got to remember what Christ is really about. And so they had plenty of room to grow. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren... Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. First thing I want us to notice this morning is that they did have plenty of room to grow. That word uh, be gives the idea of coming. It's not that they're continuing on. That they've already been, and that they just need to be reminded. It's the idea more that they are becoming this now. They they need to start growing up to this point. They need to to come along in their relationship with the Lord. Now, just a, a mention there. With that, Paul says, "My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. You need to be becoming steadfast." I need to be growing in my relationship with the Lord. And do you know the song? "Uh, He's still working on me to make me what ought to be. You know that song? We sing that song with such joy to know that God, it took him just a week to make the sun, the moon, and the stars. How wonderful. And it's so wonderful to sing about his patience with us. But here Paul is. Paul is saying, you know what, brethren? I love you. And I'm going to be patient with you. And You know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing that the Lord, with each one of us, He comes beside us and He says, I want you growing," And He's pushing me along. And we're, we're, we're glad for the Lord to, to show us grace. But you know what Paul is doing here? He's showing us what it's like to be patient with others. People who should know that what they are doing is wrong. People who should be growing and knowing so much more who, who, who aren't. You ever remember telling your children, you guys that are moms and dads, you ever remember telling your children to do something more than one time? Make your bed? take out the rubbish they know they're supposed to do it but it takes that continuous reminder you know what I think sometimes as God's people we claim God's grace and the fact that we are his beloved but when it comes time to give other people that grace and to let them grow at at a different level or a different speed with which we do, I think we struggle. Paul understood very well that he had not a right. He says in Philippians three thirteen and 14, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press and reaching forth in those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul understood that he had not arrived, that he had room to grow, that he had room to learn. And I hope that when we look at other people and we look at ourselves that that we understand how much becoming like Christ that we need to do and I also hope that we're willing to be patient with other people learning to become like Christ as well so first thing we notice is that they had plenty of room to grow second thing i want you to notice is that in the plea to keep growing, he said, Be steadfast. What does this word steadfast mean? He says in first Corinthians fifteen, fifty-eight, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Well one writer says this the word was originally used to speak of one who was sitting. And later came to be used figuratively of that which is firm, settled, steady, unshakable, or stable. It refers to something that is firmly fixed in place, secure, and generally permanent. And the idea is in life is not that we're always sitting down. It's not that we're, we're not moving. He uses the same word in Colossians chapter 1 about having that kind of spirit, having that kind of of just agitation, irritation, aggravation all the time. And Paul says, you know what? You need to be able to calm your spirit. And this being steadfast is more not dealing with everybody else. Is more just what's happening in me, what's happening in you. It's the idea of we learn to be steadfast in our own hearts. One writer said this, and I, I thought this was good too. He said, of all the marks of a genuine Christian presented in scripture, none is more significant than the one that Paul mentions here. People give evidence of being truly reconciled when they continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast. The Bible repeatedly testifies that those who are truly reconciled will continue in the faith. Does that mean we won't have times where we let the Lord down? Definitely not. Does that mean there's not weeks that we're going to have shockers? Absolutely not. But Paul is saying here that we need to be becoming more steadfast. And when he looked at the Corinthian believers, he said, you know what, guys? This is something you need to work on. The second thing he said that they needed to do To grow was not only to be steadfast, but to be immovable. He says there, and it really seems like we're we're just, we're just not going to move, that we're an unmoving people, that we are steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That word unmovable is the word we get our, the word kinetic, kinetic energy. Moving around, but it's got the word ah, which means no. So no moving, no, and it's more the idea of being smashed about by everything around us. Paul is saying that we need to be careful about being moved by the opinions of others, being moved by everything that we hear. Paul, he stresses the fact that we need to be immovable. One writer says this. He says immovable means don't get knocked over by sudden blows. Keep your balance, stand strong and unshaken when the rains come down and the floods come up and the winds blow and beat against your house. Be like a boulder that can't get washed away. Be like a tree that can't get blown down. This reminds you of Psalm chapter 1, which it might do, that just planted by the rivers. No matter what is coming, we are able to handle it. Paul said it like this in another verse. He says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every slight uh, wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So Paul said, you know what? We, we, we don't need to be people that are tossed about by what everyone else says, even by the things that happen in our lives. Oh no, this happened. What am I going to do now? Let's just trust him. Let's trust it." Then the third thing, we're not only to be steadfast, we're not only to be movable, but we're to be abounding in the work of the Lord. And I love um, how one commentator described this abounding in the work of the Lord. He gave the, the picture and from the definition, gave the picture of a, of a river being full and bursting over the banks. And it's just completely full and running over we are to be abounding in the work of the lord the idea is the idea of we are to be not just doing what little we have to but doing what we can for the lord colossians three 23, we'll talk about in just a second two things i want to hit here first of all This is talking about the work of the Lord. There's there's two different ways we can apply this. First of all, the work of the Lord is really talking about stuff that we do at church. In our working for the Lord, in our learning about Him. Paul talked about Timothy in the next chapter about make sure he's not having to, to be afraid of you guys. Help him in the work of the Lord. So there is this aspect that, that we should be abounding in the work of the Lord, that we should, whatever opportunities that the Lord brings to us, we should take advantage of them. But there's also that aspect of this abounding in the work of the Lord that every aspect of your Christian life is part of the work that he has for you. Look at it. That that is the work of the Lord that he's given to us. That whatever it is that he's given to us, let's look at it as a gift from him and let's treat it like that. Let's say, you know what? The Lord's, the Lord's pleased with me doing this. Whether it's it's changing a napkin, cooking tea, helping with the kids, doing homework, doing the work of the Lord. A place the Lord has put us that we can make a difference in. You never know who the Lord may bring across our path that day. In fact, Colossians 3.23, Paul put it a different way. He says, whatsoever you do, do it hardly as to the Lord and not unto men. The idea is, you know what? When that boss, that boss man that you don't like, says mean stuff and says and treats you about this big and tells you to do something. Think about this. If you do it with the right kind of heart, either way, whether you do it or not, you're doing it for the Lord. And so let that change your perspective. Ephesians 5:16 says, redeeming the time because the days are evil but opportunities that the Lord gives us using them for His glory. Ephesians 2.10, for we are His workmanship. We were created to work, to do His. Yes, He saves us by His grace. It's not that we're working to get saved, but you know what? The Lord has stuff for us, each one to be doing at church, at home for Him. John 9, 4. I must work the works of him that hath sent me while it is day and the night cometh when no man can work. You know, um, each one of us will run into daylight. So I hope that whatever time the Lord is giving us, I hope that we will use that time for him. One writer said this, Because God has so abundantly overdone himself for us, who deserve nothing from him, we should determine to overdo ourselves, if that were possible, in service to him, to whom we owe everything. What a word Paul gives to the countless Christians who work and pray and give and suffer as little as they can. How can we take it easy when so many around us are dead spiritually and so many fellow believers are in need of edification, encouragement, and help of every other sort? When can a Christian say, I've served my time, I've done my part, let others do the work now? And then the plea to keep growing. We need to be sure it will be worth it all. We got to keep growing. We need to be steadfast. We need to be unmovable. We need to be abounding in the work of the Lord. But lastly, we need to be sure that it will be worth it all. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This word labor here is the idea of just, have you ever just been so tired that you, Your tongue was hanging out almost. I mean, you're just just drooping. Well, you know what? That is the idea. And the Lord knows that. And he says, but wait, that labor is not in vain. It's not empty. You ever do things for the Lord that no one else sees? Well, your devotions may be one of those things. Witnessing to someone may be that one of those things. Making a meal for someone may be one of those things that not a lot of people find out about. But does that mean that God doesn't see it? Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you showed toward His name, in that you have ministered to the saints, and do minister. Whatever we do for the Lord, It will be, as the song goes, it will be worth it all. So it will be worth it all. I loved uh, reading this uh, illustration. When we were working, uh, where we were working was hot, dirty, and smelled bad. We traveled thousands of miles to do some work projects. And on this day, we were painting the back of a classroom building at a school for the deaf. The only people who would ever see this part of the building would be the guy who cut the grass and any unfortunate person who would have to work on the septic, the sewer. Uh, Yet, as the, the young adults diligently paid it away, one of the girls, Melissa, put it in perspective by saying, nobody will ever come back here to see this, but God will see it. So let's make it look nice. And so we did. Do do we understand? Does it just hit us the fact that whatever we're doing for the Lord, God sees it? And that's what matters, that God sees it. So we've talked about all these things. Now let's do the platform for growth. What's the platform? We we know the, the process, we know the things that we need to be doing. How are we gonna do this? You know, you know what? I think this is a problem sometimes. Like, we we don't tell people how to do things. And Paul here is saying, you know what? He's given us a reason why it takes us back, the word therefore takes us back to the first 57 verses of this chapter. Someone said this, one constant danger in churches where sound doctrine is preached, is to forget the basic tenet that doctrine determines and demands duty. In other words, in the present context, the grand truths Paul has just presented in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-57, regarding the resurrection and glorification of the saints calls for congruent or equal conduct. Biblical truth was never meant just for information, but for transformation. Saints, beloved brethren, need to live with a sober sense of responsibility and accountability in the light of this great doctrine. So really, these all these things, Paul is giving us a, a basis for. He's saying, I want you to be steadfast. I want you to be immovable. I want you abounding. But why? First of all, because remember the truths of the gospel. What is it that stirs our hearts to be steadfast, to be immovable, to always be abounding? Well, we need to remember the truths of the gospel. In fact, Paul started the chapter, and we're not going to do all 57 verses, don't stress. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, wherein which you've received, and wherein you stand, the gospel. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, all for our sins. That is the basis for why we live the Christian life. That's what we've received. That's what we stand in. You just need to remember what Jesus has done for you. And Paul did that in Galatians 2.21, didn't he? He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but, the, but Christ who liveth in me. And so he let the truth of the gospel change him and make a difference in his life. Then we need to reflect on the truths of Christ's resurrection. We need to reflect on the truths of Christ's resurrection. What does it mean? That Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Does that mean anything? Is that just something we learn in church, in Sunday school, in devotions at home? Is that something that we learn just and just a Bible fact that we keep? Paul says, you know what? The resurrection of Christ, it matters in our daily life. Now, if Christ be priest that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And people will. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So, if there's no resurrection, if Christ is not, if there's no resurrection, Christ is not risen. First thing I want you to notice is that you're thinking about the truths of Christ's resurrection. Since he is resurrected, first of all, we share with others about Christ is true. You know, we're, we're not telling people to believe in something that's not true. We're believing in something that serves as a foundation for our lives, something that God, that Jesus put his, his life on and that he put his words on. And so the fact that he is resurrected, it matters Everything, our faith is not vain and our witnessing to others is not vain. Um, we're not found false witnesses because Christ is resurrected. We believe in a resurrected Savior. Verse 16, if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. That one again. Another truth of His resurrection is that those who are fallen asleep in Christ, we will get to see them. Again, one day. This is not it. We don't just live and die. There is more, and we can trust God with that. He even says if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. We have hope in Christ in this life, but we also have hope in Christ in the next, because He arose from the dead. And that's what verse 20 says. We have hope in Christ because he was the first fruit. He was the first from the dead. And we can be sure that our bodies will be glorified as well, knowing the Savior. And then we know another truth of the resurrection is that Christ has overcome death. If he can overcome our biggest enemy, this death, that none of us cheat, then he's greater than any of the other things that we face. And then it gives um, meaning to the problems that we face, the standing in jeopardy every day. It makes things okay. We serve a risen Savior who's in control, and he's allowing the things to happen. We can trust him. Um, it gives sense to our being willing to suffer our being willing to crucify ourselves, to say no to ourselves, be willing to die daily to ourselves. It gives meaning to our interactions with other people, whether they treat us viciously or not. It makes us want to please God with the way we respond. And then it gives meaning to believe in the resurrection because really He is coming back and He is resurrected. Very quickly now, We need to refuse to listen to those who would lead you away from the Lord. If Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? You know what? People will make fun of Christianity. They will make fun of believing in the Lord. In fact, some say that there is no resurrection. Um, In fact, that can wear us down. And that's where Paul says, you know what, you need to keep these truths of the resurrection close to you. Some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? When we think about questioning the resurrection, lots of people did in the Bible. Uh, You had philosophical people, people that were really smart. And Paul, when he was preaching, He brought up the resurrection and what did some of them do? Some of them believed but some of them did what? (laughs) Ridiculous. Some people will attack your faith. Sometimes wicked people will attack your faith. Sometimes religious people will attack your faith. So no matter who it is, don't believe Everything you hear, if if someone tells you that Christ is not resurrected, say, well, well, no, no, no. My Bible says He did. If they say you tell you that Jesus doesn't love you, for example, no, no, no. my Bible tells me He does. So the fact is, is that we need to be willing to not listen to what everyone says, and then last, we need to rest on the promises of God regarding the future. Paul, he says, you know what? He says, regarding the resurrection of the dead, some will say, how are the dead raised up? And what body do they come? Are they zombies? No, they're not. In fact, he hits that as he goes. He says, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And really, he goes over and he talks about the different types of bodies that we have. And really, our earthly body, It's one, but our heavenly body will be totally different. And Paul brings that to their attention. He says flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yes, we that know Christ the Savior will spend eternity in heaven, but this physical body, it's just not going to be there. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There's a natural body. There's a spiritual body. And so it's just different. And then this is where we'll finish. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be raised. So we're resting in the promises. You know what? When we die, it's not the end. And when the Lord comes back, glory, glory forever. He says there, this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal shall must put on immortality. And then um, corrupt, corruption must be put away, immor- uh, incorruption must be put away, or mortality must be put away. Death is going to be overcome. Death has a sting now, but the sting of death is taken away through the cross. He says in verse 58 Thanks be to God which given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. None of us will death be physical death unless the Lord comes first. But really, uh, to be absent from the body is to be.